Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That that way. Way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your deep sea guy Josh Baker, cover six new to me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode contains junior horror, deep terror, and gem thrills. If like podcasts, iTunes please. What? Never mind that. Make sure your sea suit doesn't have any faults and follow me to the bottom of the ocean. Number 1, Excision, 2012, directed by Richard Bates Jr. A high school student named Pauline is delusional and has a fascination with becoming a surgeon. Her mother is dismissive of her issues and has her see a priest instead of an actual psychiatrist. Pauline's sister, Grace, has cystic fibrosis and isn't doing well. Pauline decides to perform a lung transplant on Grace to save her and impress their mom. Pauline knocks out and kidnaps a neighbor girl, knocks out Grace also, removes all of their lungs, and switches out Grace's old lungs with the new ones, killing both of them in the process. Pauline's mother then finds the failed operation in the garage. Pauline and her mother hug and start to scream. Pauline is the killer. Excision is the second movie I've seen from writer-director Richard Bates Jr., Suburban Gothic, the first movie I watched, was covered on the podcast some time ago. Now that I've seen two of his offerings, I think I can say that I dig his style. He's great at writing funny dialogue and finding the perfect people to deliver it. Matthew Gray Goobler was the standout powerhouse in Suburban Gothic. He carried that movie to another level. He's briefly in excision as a teacher. He's amazing as always. Like Goobler in Gothic, Excision is amazing solely due to one performance. Anna Lynn McCord plays the odd, gross, disillusioned Pauline. Her performance is incredible. Her awkward mannerisms, the way she talks, everything about her performance as Pauline is terrific. Excision is Pauline the movie. Pauline is captivating. I'd watch this character do anything. Excision is kind of a warped, coming-of-age story. It shows Pauline as she makes her way through high school classes, loses her virginity, studies surgical procedures, and fails at one of those procedures, which unfortunately ends up in the death of her sister. Hey, if the procedure would have been successful, her sister would have lived way longer. So what if the bratty neighbor would have still been dead? She was a meanie anyway. Right off the bat, Excision starts off with a weird, surreal, gory yet sensual fantasy that Pauline's having. She has a lot of these warped, medical, sexual fantasy dreams throughout the movie. They're interesting, and it was definitely a bold choice to include them. 
I think they work. Up until the climactic surgery, almost all of the gore in excision exists in these fantasy dream sequences. Most of it looks pretty good. You can tell that a top of a head was removed with CGI and that at one point Pauline's face is transposed onto a decapitated head, but given the context of this odd gore, it works well enough. Richard Bates Jr. movies are not high budget movies. Most of the gore is practical and looks good. The lungs, practical and great. Those were more important than some fantasy scenes. A lot of familiar faces pop up in Excision. John Waters is the priest Pauline sees instead of a psychiatrist. We all love John Waters, but I wouldn't take my disillusioned, surgery-loving daughter to him for psychological help. If I did, my daughter might end up killing my other daughter accidentally or something. Other people include Ariel Winter as Grace, Tracy Lords as Mom, Roger Bart as Dad, Malcolm McDowell as a teacher, and Ray Weiss as the principal. Everyone's solid, but as stated previously, Anna Lynn McCord is on another level. One thing I really dug about Excision is that Pauline, a gross weird loner girl, actually looks and acts like a gross weird loner girl. She doesn't look like Anne Hathaway with glasses and curly hair. Pauline has pimples, greasy hair, terrible posture. You actually believe that she's an outcast. I can't even think of another movie off the top of my head that has a weird loner girl character that's believable. If that obviously attractive, non-religious virgin in Satanic Panic was replaced with Pauline, that movie might have worked. I recommend checking out Excision. It's a very unique movie with a performance I absolutely loved. I'm incredibly surprised this was Bates Jr.'s first feature. I'll be covering his other two films that I haven't seen yet a little later on in the episode. Number 2, The Ruins, 2008, directed by Carter Smith. In Mexico, four friends, Jeff, Amy, Stacy, and Eric, accompany two guys they just met, Matthias and Dimitri, to a secret Mayan pyramid. At the pyramid, villagers pop up and try to warn the foreigners about something. Amy and Dimitri touch some vines. Dimitri then tries to walk towards the villagers who kill him. The foreigners ascend the pyramid. Matthias is lowered into the pyramid. Before he makes it to the ground, the rope he's using to descend snaps. Amy and Stacy go down into the pyramid to get him. He can't feel his legs. Amy throws vines that hit a villager kid. The villagers kill the kid. The vines are carnivorous and eat the flesh off of Matthias's legs and go inside a wound Stacy has. The vines end up killing Matthias. Stacy goes crazy and kills Eric. Jeff Mercy kills Stacy after she asks him to. Jeff is killed while distracting the villagers and Amy escapes. The villagers, Stacy, and the vines are the killers. I'm putting the villagers on the list because maybe Medical experts could have saved the contaminated foreigners. Jeff isn't on the list because he mercy kills someone who explicitly asked to be killed. The Ruins is based on a book of the same name. In the book, everyone dies. How's the movie? I decided to watch The Ruins after being reminded of its existence when looking up Carter Smith, who also directed Midnight Kiss, which was covered on the last episode. I remember when The Ruins came out, everyone joked about it being called 
the runs. Unfortunately, there isn't a silly diarrhea scene like there is in Green Inferno, so that joke didn't really come to fruition. The Ruins is mediocre. It's basically a crappier version of The Descent. People go exploring and end up stuck somewhere. Right before starting The Ruins, I was talking about the movie Donnie Darko. Jenna Malone, most famous for her role in Donnie Darko, then popped up as Amy in The Ruins. She's the final girl. Out of everyone in the movie, she's definitely the best actor. Sean Ashmore played Eric. He was Iceman in those X-Men movies. He's not the weakest actor. That honor goes to Laura Ramsey, who played Stacy. All of her delivery is strange. For example, she has to drop down into the pyramid. She ends up with a gnarly gash on her leg from a fall. This is how she lets everyone know about the injury. I cut my knee. Weird. Jonathan Tucker played Jeff. His face creeps me out. It gives me strong serial killer vibes. Jeff's whole thing is that he's in med school and knows, or at least thinks he knows, a lot about being a doctor. Kat, who watched the movie with me, thought that there would be a twist where Jeff took his friends to the ruins in order to try and be the first person to cure someone after they came in contact with the vines. That would have been interesting. The gore effects are where the ruins shines. Most of the effects are practical. Matthias's munched on bone legs look amazing. Stacy's under skin vine removal and self butchering scenes are horrifying and visceral. Even the digitally enhanced headshot on Dimitri looked pretty solid. Kudos to the effects team. These amazing effects are great and all, but they can't and don't carry the ruins on their own. There's just not a lot going on with the plot. There are no real surprises. The biggest surprise of the movie is when Matthias doesn't die from the fall into the pyramid. He totally should have turned into a messy blood splatter instead of ending up alive and paralyzed. Speaking of Matthias being paralyzed, Amy and Stacy have to move him onto a makeshift gurney. They talk ad nauseum about how they have to move him as carefully as possible as to not cause further injury. As soon as they pick him up, they bend the poor bastard in half. I don't think they could have done a worse job if they tried. I never pinned Amy as the final girl. Amy doesn't have your usual final girl vibe. She shows up to the Ruins expedition in flip-flops and would have cheated on Jeff the night before if Stacy didn't stop her. Good gore doesn't save a movie. The Ruins as a whole isn't really worth your time. I'm not going to make a joke about how watching it ruined my night since it's not that bad, it's just mediocre bad. Number 3, Trash Fire 2016, directed by Richard Bates Jr. A dysfunctional couple, Owen and Isabel, have been together for three years. Isabel is pregnant but isn't going to have the baby since Owen is terrible. Owen says he'll change. Isabel says he has to reconnect with his family. When Owen was younger, his parents died in a house fire. His sister Pearl survived with bad burns. Owen believes it was his fault due to him incorrectly setting up the heating for the house. Owen and Pearl then live with their awful grandma. Owen ran away and left Pearl. Once the couple arrives at grandma's house, grandma torments Isabel. 
Pearl won't talk to Owen. Grandma admits to a pastor that she killed Owen's parents and meant for Owen and Pearl to die also. She steals the pastor's rattlesnake and tries to kill Isabel with it. Pearl saves her and kills the snake. Grandma tries to kill Owen with fire, again, but fails, again. Pearl tells Owen she can't forgive him. Owen has a seizure since Grandma tampered with his meds. Grandma is about to shoot Isabel, but Pearl shoots and kills Grandma and also Owen. Pearl then cuddles up to an in-shock Isabel. Grandma and Pearl are the killers. I tried to keep that summary short and realized there were a bunch of important plot points that had to be shoved in there. Let's start off with everyone's favorite segment, Pet Warning. Pearl rips the head off of the pastor's pet rattlesnake that Grandma mischievously put in the toilet in hopes that it would sink its fangs into Isabel's behind. The gore for the snake death is intense and will definitely disturb you reptile fans. Poor Ratty the Rattler. I don't know what his slash her real name was. I like Ratty. It's a good name. This is the third Richard Bates Jr. movie I've watched. Not only is it the third, it's also the weakest. Trashfire is missing a certain whimsy that's present in Suburban Gothic and Excision. In Trashfire, the main character is Owen. Owen is an over-the-top caricature of a mega-douche. He's not unbelievably double negative, I know. Douchey per se, seeing as people like him unfortunately exist, but it is 100% unbelievable that Isabel has stayed with him for three years. He's a complete ass 99.9% of the time. And Isabel lets us know that he's been a human trash can the entire time she's known him. Owen is a cartoon man, and Isabel is a real person. That's one of the big reasons why this movie didn't work for me. In Bates's other movies, everyone is a cartoon person. Trashfire tries to be somewhat serious, while it also attempts Bates's usual camp. Problem is, Trashfire really needed to pick a direction to go in. I could see it being an amazing horror comedy if it gave in completely to the camp. More shockingly, I believe this could have been a critically acclaimed horror drama if it had gone the full serious route. The story is compelling. A couple on the rocks decides whether or not to keep a baby. The boyfriend takes his girlfriend along as he attempts to reconnect with his estranged family that was torn apart by religion and a devastating fire. The general story outline in different hands could have been one depressing, slow-burn horror masterpiece. On the other hand, play up the disdain between the couple, cast someone who's funny as the boyfriend, make grandma even loonier, and get more creative with the cinematography and sound design, boom, good horror comedy. Entourage Boy, aka Adrian Grenier, who played Owen in Trashfire, would definitely be left out of both versions. You need someone with a lot more charisma to play such a jerk-faced character. Someone like Matthew Gray Goobler, who's in the movie as Isabel's overly religious brother. Goobler would have been a way better Owen. Angela Trimber plays Isabel. She takes a serious approach to the character. I liked her a lot in this. She looked familiar to me. I have in fact seen her in things. She's in The Final Girls, Rob's Halloween 2, and the XX Horror Anthology. Do I remember her from those movies? No, but I don't think she was a main character in them. She's in another movie called Psychopaths that I might check out 
even though the title doesn't exactly inspire confidence. Pauline, er, Anna Lynn McCord from Excision is in Trash Fire. She's the killer again. She does an okay job as Pearl, but after Excision, I wanted more from her. Speaking of her being the killer again, the ending of Excision and Trash Fire are both feel-bad endings. The feel-bad ending worked better in Excision because of the humorous journey to the unfortunate fate. In Trash Fire, the ending just puts you down. I'm not against feel-bad endings. I think I wouldn't have been as bummed out if Isabel was killed or if Owen ended up surviving instead. The whole movie you want better for Isabel, she puts up with her terrible boyfriend, takes care of him when he has seizures, and puts up with his awful grandma. Then when she finally starts loving Owen again, he's killed. Segway to the gore. Pearl shoots grandma and Owen with a shotgun. The shots land off screen, but there is blood splatter onto Pearl from the blast. I really like the way it was done. The splatter from grandma's death is especially great. The splatter and snake gore is all done practically and looks solid. Pearl's burn makeup is also practical and looks decent. They say she has burns over 80% of her body, but it didn't really look like she did. I think they could have put a little more effort into the look of her character. Trash Fire isn't a trash fire, but it's also not a movie I recommend to anyone but Richard Bates Jr. superfans. I'm hoping this is the weakest of his movies because I have one more to watch. Number 4, Tone Deaf, 2019, directed by Richard Bates Jr. After losing her job and boyfriend, Olive decides to go on a trip by herself for some me time. Harvey, an older man whose wife just died, rents his house to Olive. Harvey wants to feel what it's like to kill someone. Harvey ends up killing an old friend of his family named Agnes, a serial killer named James that planned on killing Olive after meeting her in a bar, and a girl James kidnapped. Harvey then tries to kill Olive. It doesn't go well. Olive's hippie mom and her young boy toy show up. The boy toy is killed. Olive's mom shoots Harvey. Olive then stabs him to death. Harvey and James are the killers. I mean, we don't technically see James kill anyone, but he had a captive girl, and it's heavily implied he's been kidnapping and murdering girls. Welp, I think I'm done with Richard Bates Jr. now. I have seen all of his features, and these last two, Trash Fire and Tone Deaf, were a Trash Fire and Tone Deaf. So they're not just clever names. Haha, <laughs> Wayne's World. To be fair, Trash Fire isn't Trash Fire levels of bad. It just wasn't great. Tone Deaf is worse than Trash Fire. Like its predecessor, Tone Deaf has some interesting ideas. Two generations are pit against each other. Harvey the Boomer and Olive the Millennial. Both characters break the fourth wall and talk directly to the audience. I hate the word, but all of the fourth wall breaking was cringy. Harvey spends way more time breaking the fourth wall than Olive does. He rants about how my generation good, new generation bad. He's said to have dementia, so up until the end where Olive breaks the fourth wall, my headcanon was that Harvey was actually ranting to no one instead of purposely breaking the fourth wall. Olive only talks to the audience at the end where she calls out baby boomers. She explicitly says baby boomers, which feels completely out of place. I'm technically in the millennial generation, I know, I know. We suck. And our generation shorthanded baby boomer to simply boomer years ago. So it's weird that Olive says, 
effing baby boomers instead of just effing boomers. None of the social commentary in Tone Deaf is new or original. The general idea of the movie is kind of interesting. Someone who is towards the end of their life decides to murder since it's an experience they've never had. I think that setup works. I can easily picture a hilarious slasher set in a retirement community where some old person decides to try their hand at murder and ends up with a taste for it. It wouldn't include heavy-handed generational commentary, that's for sure. I wouldn't even say including that was the biggest issue with Tone Deaf. The biggest issue is that it's boring. It's not compelling in the least. It's not funny. None of the characters are intriguing or likable. There's one part in the movie where things could have taken an interesting turn after Harvey kills James, the actual serial killer. Unfortunately, Harvey instantly goes back to trying to kill Olive. How's the acting? Harvey is played by the T-1000, aka Robert Patrick. He tries his damnedest. Besides the fourth wall breaks that couldn't be believably pulled off by anyone, I liked his performance. Amanda Crew played Olive, and she was fine. She doesn't have the charismatic lead power that Anna Lynn McCord and Matthew Gray Goobler had in Excision and Suburban Gothic. The gore is bad. When Boy Toy receives a tomahawk to the dome, it looks completely unnatural. When Olive's mom shoots Harvey multiple times, the shots appear to lag. Those two instances of gore are the most jarring and cheap. The rest of the gore, like when Harvey stabs Agnes to death, gets stabbed himself, and chops off some of Olive's foot, all look meh. So you have awful gore and mediocre gore. It would be easier to look past the lackluster and plain bad gore effects if the rest of the movie was enjoyable. There are some surreal dream sequences like in Excision. Harvey has these dreams and they are kind of interesting but overall feel unnecessary this time around. Like in all his other movies, Bates includes a trucking shot that shows different people in different rooms. He loves that. I think it's in every movie I've seen, but it's been a while since I've watched Suburban Gothic. At one point in Tone Deaf, Harvey puts a spider in Olive's contact case. Your boy wears contacts. There is no possible way you'd accidentally try to put a spider in your eye. I don't care how blind the character is supposed to be. You're going to instantly realize there is something in your contact case. Tone Deaf might have worked with a much thicker coating of camp. But as it is, it's a bland movie that's 1 hour and 27 minute runtime feels like 2 hours. It's like the whole movie was a vessel for a joke about Olive being a terrible penis, I mean pianist, but not knowing until some killer boomer tells her because everyone else in her life was way too nice to her. Since I don't want to end my reviews of Richard Bates Jr.'s movies on such a negative note, there is a sequence in Tone Death where Olive is on acid and ends up talking to past exes and her dead dad where everyone's in darkness except for a color changing light that's rotating around their faces. That was really cool looking. I heavily enjoyed the acid trip. I also dug most of the song choices. I like bits and pieces from all the movies I've seen from Bates, but the quality of the films decline with the passing years. My order of enjoyment perfectly lines up with the order they were released, best to worst. 
Excision, Suburban Gothic, Trash Fire, Tone Death. I'm a sucker, so if his next movie, King Knight, ends up being a horror movie, I'll probably check it out. That'll be the final nail in the coffin if that one stinks, Richard. Just because Barbara Crampton is listed on the IMDb page does not fill me with hope. She was in Puppet Master of the Littlest Reich, and that movie was terrible. I still love you, Babs. Number 5. Underwater, 2020, directed by William Eubank. This movie is a ton of fun, and you'll like it more without spoilers. Go see it, then come back and listen to this section. Spoiler beard, you know the drill. You ain't gonna want this underwater adventure spoiled, so skip to 33 minutes 40 seconds to avoid all the wet spoilers. Yar. Thanks, SB. Here's the summary. After the headquarters of a drilling operation in the Mariana Trench is compromised, a team of people need to find a way back to the surface. The team includes Nora, Lucian, Paul, Emily, Liam, and Rodrigo. The team puts on suits which allows them to walk on the bottom of the ocean. Rodrigo's has a faulty helmet which causes him to implode. The team presses on. They find a weird creature. Paul is killed by something. Unidentified underwater monsters begin attacking them. Lucian and Nora are pulled away from the group by one. Lucian detaches himself from Nora and blows up due to the pressure change. Nora meets back up with Emily and Liam. They all make it to the base that's still intact after another monster encounter. There is a giant Cthulhu-esque monster. The remaining trio find three escape pods, one of which is damaged. Nora stays behind. Emily and Liam's pods head towards the surface. They are pursued by the monsters. Nora blows up the base, which kills the monsters pursuing the pods and the giant monster. Her sacrifice allows Emily and Liam to survive. Dangerous underwater pressure and unclassified monsters are the killers. You know what time of the year it is? F you, it's January! So underwater sucks, right? I mean, it came out in January, the dump month. Underwater is great. It's the best horror movie I've seen this decade. Decade joke aside, it's a very solid sci-fi creature escape feature. The pacing of Underwater is incredible. There is never a dull moment. The entire movie can be boiled down to a team needs to go from point A to B. That team is cut in half by the time they get to point B. When I walked out of the theater, I wasn't sure what Underwater was rated. I decided it must be rated R because it has some horrific death scenes. I couldn't remember how much profanity was included. I'm assuming that Underwater got away with the PG-13 rating, which it got, due to implying most of the gore. The first speaking character death we get is an implosion, blood and body parts everywhere. It's incredibly unsettling. Pressure is horrifying. I will point out real quick that the first speaking character to die is the only black character, Rodrigo. He loved anime. Big tangent. In the movie, we basically learn that it's okay to die if you don't have a loved one waiting for you. Lucian's daughter is dead. Nora's fiance is dead. Paul's, Paul's stuffed bunny, well, that bunny actually makes it, but it was technically an inanimate object. Rodrigo's boom anime babes fake. Waifus aren't enough of a reason to get to live. Sorry, Rodrigo. 
Maybe you would have lasted longer if you walked around with a big booby body pillow like Paul carried around his bunny. Maybe Paul would be alive if he held onto that bunny. The only two people with alive, animate love interests are the survivors, Emily and Liam, who I guess only survived because they're into each other. Back to the horrors of underwater pressure. I'd say the scariest parts of the movie are the realistic stuff. Being stuck in a base that could implode at any moment, having to walk on the bottom of the pitch black ocean without knowing if you'll even find the other base you're headed towards, Hachi Machi is the deep sea spooky. Since the situation is scary sans monsters, yes. Underwater is a sci-fi underwater reskin of The Descent. I've seen some people comparing underwater to Alien for some reason, but underwater is pretty much beat for beat a remake of The Descent. I love The Descent. I loved Underwater. We have to find a way out of this horrible situation isn't the most original plot, but allegedly there's only like seven stories. Let's look at the seven possible plots. Voyage and Return, yep, with a dash of overcoming the monster. Since I already hit on gore with the implosion death, how's the rest? The gore is incredible for a PG-13 movie. The implosion, the implication of Paul being ripped out of the bottom of his suit, a dead body that's being munched on by a squid monster baby, and all the cuts and blood look fantastic. I was really impressed by all the gore effects. The monsters? Baby monster looks incredible. I'm not going to dog on Emily, the research assistant, for getting handsy with the little flesh demon sans gloves. She should have put on gloves before touching it, right? Of course, even though she touches some unknown species with her bare hands, I didn't find her glovelessness as bad as similar scenes in other movies like Sea Fever and Prometheus. The corpse of that little monster looked amazing. The next level of monster I wasn't much of a fan of. I think my biggest issue with the next level is the amount of time they have on screen. One of the tensest parts of Underwater is when the team is walking on the bottom of the ocean and keeps seeing these creatures that then quickly shift back into the darkness. The big boy Cthulhu monster is super cool. It's got mandibles, loads of teeth, tentacles, and eyes. Eyes? What does it need eyes for? Well, all the creature levels besides Baby have eyes, and I personally think the creatures would have looked even better without them. It's pitch black down there. Sure, these creatures are otherworldly. Maybe their eyes can see in the darkness. Whatever. Aesthetically, I think eyeless squid, merperson, elder god creatures would look scarier. I also wasn't a huge fan of the second tier monster having a humanoid upper torso. That being said, here are a few things I'd change that would make Underwater one of the best tour movies ever. Redesign Tier 2 Monster to be more like a horrifying squid. Remove eyes from both Tier 2 and Tier 3 monsters. Remove stupid generic scream sound from the monsters. They are way scarier without the dumb noise. If you want to have them make noise, clicks, or maybe a weird low bassy hum, look up the bloop. Well, not exactly the bloop but some freaky sound that you wouldn't expect would be better than a standard monster shriek. Add in a very quick thing about Nora being a master hacker. 
Sure, she talks a little bit about how she's great with machines, but that doesn't explain how she'd easily be able to hit a few buttons and make an entire base explode. That's my biggest nitpick. Why would this huge underwater base have an easy way to make itself destruct? I'm not sure if I'd remove Nora's narration in the beginning and end. I think it works actually. Another thing I don't know if I'd change is the end newspaper articles that let the viewer know Emily and Liam survived. They aren't allowed to talk to the press, everything is classified, and drilling will continue. Leaving the theater, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but the articles have grown on me. Those are my patch notes. How's the acting? Kristen Stewart is fantastic as Nora. Yes, TJ Miller is in this. I don't like him at all. I found his portrayal as Paul perfect though. He does joke a little more than he probably should, but person who's constantly joking as a coping mechanism in a deadly situation works for me. Vincent Castle is solid as Captain Lucian. He definitely gives off that sea captain vibe. John Gallagher Jr. as Liam, Jessica Henwick as Emily, and Mamadou Athi as Rodrigo are all great. I had no problems with any of the acting in this. Underwater is a tense, dread-inducing thrill ride from start to finish. It has some jump scares that feel earned and make sense. That's a rarity. I'm hoping you checked it out before having it spoiled here, but if you listen to this section beforehand, I highly recommend checking it out in theaters. Support awesome sci-fi, original-ish, practical effects, suits, and scents, horror movies. One other thing I absolutely loved about this movie was the team all working together. No one was a backstabbing jerk. Everyone was trying to help everyone. Heroes all around. That kind of stuff makes me tear up. Number 6, Uncut Gems, 2019, directed by Benny and Josh Safdie. This is a new movie, so let's provide a spoiler alert, shall we? It's good. Check it out if you want to feel immense anxiety. Josh, Uncut Gems is not a horror movie. What are you doing? How dare you doubt my decisions? Whose name is on your checks? Not yees. Ye don't pay me. If ye did, I wouldn't accept checks. I'd request to be paid in booty. I'm ignoring your phrasing there. Uncut Gems is one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen, so I'm counting it. It's my podcast. Do the time skip. Yar. If ye don't want this movie that's not in the horror genre spoiled, skip to 40 minutes, 41 seconds. There's your warning, folks. Howard Ratner is a jeweler in New York who owes dangerous people money. Instead of working to pay them back, Howard continuously goofs off placing sports bets after firing up Kevin Garnett to play good sports ball. Luckily for Howard, one of the two winning bets he makes goes through after he sends his young girlfriend that he's cheating on his wife with to place the bet and traps the debt collectors. Howard wins a ton of money, releases the collectors, and is instantly shot in the face by one who's named Phil, who also kills one of the other debt collectors who didn't want anyone murdered. Phil is the killer. I really simplified the plot. Lots of crazy, anxiety-inducing action is packed into Uncut Gems. This movie made me feel like I was about to have a panic attack. No joke. And I knew how it was going to end. Don't look at comments on tweets about movies you haven't seen yet. This is my first Safety Bros movie. 
good time, looked interesting, but looked like a feel-bad crime movie, which I haven't been in the mood to watch. But you watched Uncut Gems? Yeah, I'm not sure. Why? I guess it might have to do with me being an Adam Sandler fan. You know what I mean, before he just decided to make movies so him and his friends could make money and have fun. I respect that, actually. I know a lot of people want to call him out for it, but if I had already made a bunch of well-received comedies, I think I'd help out my friends and have fun. Wins Little Nicky 2. I think it's time. I guess these safety bros know how to make a motion picture. Early on in InCut Gems, I thought to myself, Adam Sandler, you're overacting. Minutes later, I thought to myself, Howard Ratner, what the hell are you doing? It took a little time, but Adam Sandler completely disappeared in that role. I saw this at the Alamo Draft House, and the pre-show had an interview with the Safety Bros, where they say Howard is a winner who doesn't win. Is he? Is he Safety Bros? I would not personally call Howard a winner in any regard. Well, except in the fact that he somehow got some young, actually attractive woman to genuinely want him. Julia is the younger woman that Howard has on the side. There are multiple parts in the movie where I expected Howard to find out Julia was using him. When he hides in the closet as she comes home, I was sure she was going to come in with a dude and tell him he had to skedaddle since Sugar Daddle was coming over. Nope. I thought she was going to dip with the bet money Howard gave her. Nope. I did not expect for her to get a little handsy with The weekend. Yeah, the singer? That came out of nowhere. She said she didn't really do anything with him though, and I strongly believe her. She even gets Howie tattooed on her tuchus. So I guess in the game of finding a young girl to cheat on your wife with, which is a game for losers in my book, Howard technically wins. Besides that, he's just a lucky schmuck or the uncut gemstone that he lets Kevin Garnett rub before two big games is actually magic. It's strange that Kevin Garnett agreed to be in the movie since it makes him come off as kind of an idiot. KG believes the gem is magic. Come to think of it, I'd love to play a characterized version of myself that believes in magical b-ball skill aiding shoes that were worn by Michael Jordan originally. I mean, magical b-ball skill aiding gem? Dang. Kevin Garnett isn't in Like Mike. I was hoping I could say Like Mike and Uncut Gems were in the same universe. Remember a little Bow Wow? What? Oh yeah, we're talking about Uncut Gems. The acting is all around fantastic. Sandler disappears as Howard. I completely believed KG, which surprised me. I'd say the weakest performance is Julia Fox as Julia, but she's pretty good, especially given that this is her big first acting role. Her character is completely unbelievable, but that's not her fault. Strange fact from her Wikipedia, during high school, Julia was a dominatrix for six months. I wish that was from Adam Sandler's Wikipedia page instead. Unlike most movies where an actor will say their line and another actor will wait and respond, Uncut Gems has everyone constantly talking over each other, which feels real and really helps up the anxiety in a ton of scenes. The score feels out of place at times, but I believe it's the way it is to amp up the feeling of anxiety. The score, coupled with the frenetic dialogue alone, made me want a beer. The cinematography is varied and interesting. One shot in particular stood out to me. Howard walks into a pawn shop and the camera placement makes it feel like you're watching Howard through a security camera. 
Uncut Gems is a perfectly crafted film. How two young brothers are able to pull this off, I'll never know. I actually do know. In the pre-show interview, they talked about the amazing crew they got together that included tons of old school talent. If any filmmaking legends would like to work with me to make a really stupid slasher movie, please email blankisthekiller at gmail.com. Gore? Uh, gore's fine. There are two gunshot, inflicted kills, and they look real and disturbing. That's it? That doesn't sound like a horror movie. Okay, okay, I probably should have watched a horror movie for this section instead, but Uncut Gems is a legitimately terrifying movie. I'd say check it out even with spoilers because this movie is truly about the anxiety you have along the way. Movies starting with the letters UN have been 100% interesting for me in 2020 so far. Fun fact, Jonah Hill almost played Howard. That would have been terrible. Number 7, The Witcher, no spoilers. Your boy checked out the new Witcher show on Netflix. I was skeptical. I've never played the games, even though everyone tells me I should. I probably should, but now I don't want to spoil the show by playing the games. The Witcher is incredibly fun. Is it perfect? No. It's still entertaining and definitely worth your time. I mostly wanted to talk about the horror elements in this section. The Witcher is basically a bounty hunter that fights monsters. That means the show is littered with different monsters. Most of the designs for the creatures are great. Sure, CGI is prevalent, but this is a Netflix show. It doesn't have an endless budget. The CGI is pretty solid. I really dug how almost all of the creatures look. The series starts off as your basic Monster of the Week show. I love Monster of the Week format. Unfortunately, things get a little more overarching towards the end of the season, but even when it's not Monster of the Week, the show is compelling. The spookiest episode of the season has to be episode 3, Betrayer Moon. It's a great standalone episode with an amazing monster. Watch The Witcher. I know this is another super short section 7. I might be changing things up with this section in the future. Since I'm not diving into horror series as much as I used to, there's been a ton of non-horror content that I've been binging when not watching horror movies. If you listeners have any ideas for what you'd like to hear during topic 7, let me know. Maybe I'll Rewatch some of my favorite horror movies and talk about whether or not they still hold up. Who knows? That'll do it for Blank is the Killer, episode 62, Junior Horror, Deep Terror, and Gem Thrills. If you liked the podcast, why not leave a rating on iTunes? I know it's a pain in the butt, but I'd appreciate it. A big thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast, allowing it to invade your ears. They're great. Go check out other shows on the network. Episode 63 will be up January 23rd. Even though I am a Nick Pesh fan, I have no current plans to see the grudge. Till next time, I'm going to place a silly bet on sports ball.